Hello and welcome to Reason for Hope. Good to see you. Glad that you're joining us today. Reason for Hope is an hour-long live broadcast, which is uh, based and guided uh, by your Bible questions. That's right. You can ask questions on the Bible, uh, maybe even uh, something you're going through in your life, where you'd like a biblical perspective or a specific verse or a passage of scripture or maybe even other religions, but uh, whatever. Whatever question you have, as long as it's an honest question, and as long as you know we're going to use the Bible to find the answers to those questions. And so uh, we're very glad you're joining us and providing that content. You can send your questions in through our various online platforms that we're streaming live to, which I'll run through in just a moment. But of course, if you're hearing me and seeing me, then you've already found a way. Well done. Good job there. My name's Dave Robson. I'll be your host today and fielding those questions as they come on in with us today. We have a father-son duo here, Scott Richards and Sean Richards. How are you guys doing today? Fantastic, Dave. Yeah, it's good to see you. Sean has a prop. <laughs> what on earth do you have right there? An extra hand. Yes, this is a biblical cubit. Former children's ministry leader was able to provide it for us, noting the distance between the average man's elbow and outstretched hand provided by answers in Genesis. So nice. assuming I'm above average, that's about accurate. Yeah, yeah. that's very cool. That, that puts a, a lot of scripture into perspective with that uh, measurement on there. That's pretty cool. Thanks for bringing that along for show and tell. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, well, and, and if I get out of line, it'll whack me upside the head. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm glad I'm out, out of reach. I'm yeah. glad a cubit is only a couple of feet there. But uh, yeah, well, uh, once again, as I mentioned, uh, Reason of Hope, there's a live broadcast. We're with you Monday through Friday, Mountain Standard Time here in Tucson, Arizona, where the sunsets are beautiful and the allergies are terrible off the charts uh, <laughs> off the charts at the moment uh, but we'll get through this um uh yes uh, it's a uh, mountain standard time here in tucson arizona but of course you can join us all around the world whatever time that is for you we do have people tuning in from all around the world which is very exciting it's an outreach of calvary christian fellowship of tucson if you keep that in mind when you're trying to find us that will help you out calvary christian fellowship of tucson so you can go to our website calvarychristianfellowship.com and uh, follow the, the Watch Live tab that's right there, and that will take you to our live page. Anytime we're live, not only uh, Reason for Hope, but our services here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, that's where we go live to as far as our web website is concerned. So you'll see our video there. You'll see um, that you can sign in with a username of your choice and then be part of the broadcast through the chat function, and I'll be in there and monitoring that. But when we're offline, you'll see a countdown to our next show. You'll see a schedule of upcoming events as well. So you don't have to miss a thing. You are welcome. So you can go directly to that uh, site, ccftucson.online.church. That's what you put in your address bar, ccftucson.online.church. Or follow the link from our calvarychristianfellowship.com website. It takes you to the same place. Uh, we're on Facebook, of course, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, or facebook.com slash ccftucson. Don't forget to like and share and all that good stuff. And that's another way you can send your question in. Just put your question in the chat function. And I will be there and see that and receive it. And we'll try and get it into our show today. So on Facebook, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. We're live there as we speak. Also, we have an app you can download on your mobile device. Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. That's right. You guessed it. Look for that red background with the Calvary Chapel Dove logo. Download that app. and You can watch us on your phone or mobile device. And we have a channel on Roku and Apple TV as well. So add that channel, Calvary Christian Fellowship. Add that as a channel on those devices. You can watch us on the big screen should you desire to do so. Uh, we're on YouTube, of course. The channel is called A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope on YouTube. That's a great place for archives. If you go to that live tab that's right there, anytime we've been live, it archives there automatically. So 
if you missed the show or would like to recap, then uh, you can go to YouTube to the live tab and see them all there. And once you're, while you're there, don't forget to like and subscribe. And you can even copy the links and share and click the bell. So then you're notified when we're live and all that good stuff. So YouTube, The Reason for Hope is the name of the channel. Our pastor Scott here, he's a senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. And with us today, he's on uh, Twitter. Uh, Scott R4H is his handle. And he posts highlights from the show. He posts all kinds of shenanigans. Uh, but also just things going on in the world from a biblical and end times and prophetic kind of perspective. So it's uh, it's interesting to follow along with him if you're on Twitter. So Scott R4H. Uh, we're on Rumble. We post our archive there. Hoping to go live there maybe at some point. We're looking into that. But if you're on Rumble, look for a reason for hope. Bible Q&A. And you'll find us there. And last but not least, our email address is questionsforhope at gmail.com. Questionsforhope spelled out at gmail.com. You'll want to use that, especially if you're joining us on the radio, because if you are, you're listening to the last show we did pre-recorded. So we're not live with you, so to speak. Um, but uh, send your questions to that email address, and we'll try and get to that on our next show. And uh, well, with all that being said, why don't we pause to pray? That would be awesome. Who'd like to do it today? Happy to. Yeah, that'd be great, Sean. Thank you. Dad, thank you that we have the chance to be in your word and among your people and hopefully in your spirit. Allow him to equip us to not only represent your words, but your heart and your voice, whether that's in one of grief, one of celebration, or one that's simply thankful for all that you're doing. We'll start with that. We're grateful that you are speaking and ask that you would continue. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Would it be um, a uh, an internet uh, faux pas for me to ask you what the password is Got for right our, our sound <laughs> <Yes>. room? <laughs> certainly on air it would, but maybe Sean will type that out, or I'll, I certainly can. I'll put it on okay. <laughs> Because uh, I'm uh, the uh, friendly folks that uh, are doing some internet upgrades for us apparently uh, sliced through our main internet cable with a backhoe they did. earlier. Which, which yes. made work today very productive. Right. Yeah. I know, we should have called the day off. But, but uh, you know, along with a uh, trip back to, say, the 1890s that we all experienced during that time, yes, the dark uh, ages. we've had to, uh, we discover that we do have a fail-safe device. We have another uh, internet hookup. Uh, I was just not hooked up to it on my cell phone. And so in order to connect with those of you who join us on Facebook, uh, I needed to do that business right, right now. So I don't want to take Very any good. more time away no, from answering good. our questions. Glad but, you're up and, up yeah. and running yeah. there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, let me, uh, let, let's uh, go ahead and uh, before we get to our questions, uh, boy, a really uh, shocking headline. Uh, broke uh, right before airtime, and we wanted to share it with you. One of the things that we do on this broadcast is keep you up to date on uh, matters of biblical prophecy. Uh, one of the things that Jesus said would be characteristic of uh, the birth pains that would lead up to his return would be the idea of wars and rumors of wars uh, increasing in frequency and intensity like labor pains before a birth. Boy, if there was ever uh, a uh, picture of such a thing happening. It was the lead story in the Jerusalem Post. As I mentioned, this was published just before airtime. The headline, Ukraine attempted to assassinate Russians uh, Vladimir Putin by way of drone attack. Uh, the attack was supposed to be carried out during a visit by Putin outside of the Russian capital, but the drone crashed before reaching him. Uh, the Ukrainian Secret Service, this is according to uh, the uh, German newspaper Bild, uh, B-I-L-D, 
attempted to assassinate Russian President Vladimir Putin with a drone, but the attack failed when the drone crashed before reaching him, uh, the German newspaper Bill reported uh, earlier today. Uh, the report cites a recent tweet by the chief editor of the Ukrainian website Kivila, um, who reportedly has ties to Ukrainian intelligence sources. Uh, according to this gentleman, the Ukraine used a drone which has a range of about 800 kilometers and was equipped with 17 kilograms of explosives. Uh, the drone managed to fly over the border and pass by Russia's air defense system. Uh, the drone was meant to explode and kill Putin during a visit to the Rodnevo Industrial Park near the capital of Moscow. Last week, our intelligence officers received information about Putin's trip to the industrial park in Rodnevo. I even managed to get a map of the trip around the park. This information was indirectly confirmed by Putin's personal correspondent uh, in his telegram. Accordingly, we launched a kamikaze drone, which flew all uh, through all the air defenses of the Russian Federation and fell not far from the industrial park. According to Bill, private Russian media confirmed a drone crash in a village east of Moscow, close to that industrial park. Alleged pictures of the drone show the explosive charges, uh, which are also used by the U.S. and Canadian military. There is no comment from the Russian side, but passersby uploaded videos to Twitter, which might show possible preparations for a visit by Putin to this particular industrial park. Uh, Ukraine in the past has repeatedly attempted to, to strike targets in Russian territory by using drones. Uh, in February, Ukrainian President uh, Volodymyr Zelensky said he believed that the Russian President Vladimir Putin will eventually be killed by a member of his inner circle. So uh, when you see something like this taking place, you need to remember something. The pedigree of a guy uh, like Vladimir Putin, the reason that he is still not only in power, but still alive, is that he has a long and storied background as a high official with the uh, former Soviet KGB. Uh, you don't get to that position without uh, learning to sidestep a few landmines, or in this case, a few drone attacks. But uh, the KGB's uh, reputation uh, has been well-earned, ruthless, uh, bloodthirsty. Uh, you know, when you get involved uh, with intelligence services and spycraft, you realize that you're not playing beanbag anymore. And the people who are involved with it, particularly the people who rise to the top, of these uh, organizations are not ones who would take, say, a, an assassination attempt like this very lightly. Uh, the fact that this is being uh, released right now uh, tells us something about what's going on in Ukraine. Uh, Russia has uh, made statements about moving its tactical nuclear weapons close to the Ukrainian border. Uh, you know, if uh, the uh, go-ahead was given by Vladimir Zelensky, to uh, launch this kind of uh, attack against Putin, you'd better believe that a guy like Vladimir Putin has very little choice but to respond in kind. If he does not respond in kind, Vladimir uh, Volodymyr uh, Zelensky's prediction about being killed by a member of his inner circle, uh, the odds of that going up uh, increase greatly. The way you stay alive is by showing yourself to be in a very strong and powerful position. And the best way uh, for an individual uh, in a circumstance like this to show themselves in a powerful position is to hit back twice as hard. So uh, definitely keep your eye on what's going on in the Ukraine. Uh, there have been stories that have uh, run about an increase 
in uh, U.S. advisors on the ground uh, in Ukraine. Uh, this is not something that sits well with the Russians. We've also told you about uh, how the Iranians are supplying uh, uh, drone technology uh, and uh, expertise to the Russians now, including uh, some of these sophisticated drones that can uh, deliver quite a punch. So uh, keep your eye on that. Uh, certainly it does fit the category that Jesus warned about, uh, not only the possibility of, uh, of rumors of wars, uh, the uh, Ukrainian conflict uh, literally going uh, nuclear and what the West's response would be if, uh, say, Volodymyr Zelensky was taken out in a similar attack. I can only imagine uh, what would happen along those lines. Uh, is this the end of the world? Is this the Battle of Armageddon? No and no. Uh, but it does fit the category of wars and rumors of wars, which the Bible said would increase in frequency and intensity as the time of Jesus' return draws near. Uh, the Battle of Armageddon is going to be fought during the final seven-year period of time known as the Tribulation period. We as born-again believers will not be there for that. The event called the Rapture, where the Lord comes and snatches us out before the storm happens, before literally all hell breaks loose in this world. But that does not mean that between now and this event that we call the Rapture, some uh, pretty intense things and some pretty perilous times can certainly come. So be prayed up about this, be informed, uh, you know, don't uh, feel like this is a cause or a call uh, to uh, you know, run, run about uh, like a uh, chicken little saying the sky is falling. But uh, certainly uh, we need to be praying uh, for uh, peace in this region. We need to be praying for great wisdom for our leaders. And uh, we need to be praying uh, that uh, these sort of things will remind people that uh, time is not an unlimited resource. The time of the Lord's return for us is nearer now than we first believed. And if you ever needed a uh, pretty good, um, I guess, uh, impetus uh, to share your faith with somebody and to tell them how they can avoid the coming storm, things like this, as frightening as they might be, uh, can't hold a candle to the things the Bible describes as standard uh, operating procedure, life as normal uh, during that final seven-year period of time known as the Tribulation. So we wanted to let you know about that. Again, I just found out um, literally a couple moments before airtime yeah. uh, this story breaking. So be very interesting to see what uh, U.S. and Ukrainian reaction is to this. Very interesting to see what Russian reaction is going to be to all of this, especially in light of the fact that uh, Russia has uh, some pretty significant uh, military options available, including a uh, large fleet that is stationed in the Black Sea as we speak. So wow. there you go. Yeah. Well, maybe you'll have an update for us tomorrow on yeah. the show again. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, we'll, we'll be watching this. And, and uh, you know, really good uh, people say, well, what websites would you recommend to stay on top of all of this? Uh, you know, mainstream media, I, I really believe uh, events of this last week, uh, particularly the Tucker Carlson uh, upheaval, are showing us that uh, mainstream cable channels as sources of news and information are uh, really kind of going the way of uh, answering machines and cassette tapes and uh, flip out phones, you know, <laughs> these sort of things. Uh, you know, the, the wave of the future is definitely going to be uh, individuals who are going to be offering streaming services. I think that's what you're going to see happen uh, with Tucker Carlson. As we mentioned, uh, at best, and he was dominating cable news, he'd have 3.5 million viewers 
for one of his programs. Oh. Uh, in comparison, you have a, a guy like Joe Rogan, whose streaming program, the Joe Rogan Experience, averages 11 million yeah. viewers per program. So it's definitely the wave of the future. And some of these uh, commentators, uh, some of these uh, citizen reporters uh, are uh, constructing their own channels, if you will. And uh, you can uh, take, a, take a look for these things. One of the uh, couple of the more reliable ones uh, that we would encourage you to uh, take a look at uh, would be, uh, say, uh, uh, the uh, Calvary uh, uh, Prophecy uh, website. Uh, and uh, that's one of your favorites, right? Yeah, Terry Malone, I've been following his channel for a very long time, and uh, while, again, like any other brain than my own, there are areas of disagreement, but his channel serves as a purpose with a biblical mindset in mind to simply provide the articles, give uh, brief summaries in the links, not, of course, sensational or uh, clickbaity, but if an event like this, for instance, comes up, then he's the first to raise his hand and go, you uh, might want to pay attention to this with this passage in mind. Right. Uh, you know, we would also uh, recommend uh, taking a look at uh, Joel Rosenberg's allisrael.com. Uh, uh, no stories up yet on this particular event on allisrael.com, but uh, it would not surprise me if we do see this sort of thing. Uh, fascinating story that happened in Iran, uh, by the way, is a leading Iranian cleric, an assembly of experts uh, member of the Ayatollah Soleimani, was killed yesterday uh, while he was making a deposit in an Iranian bank. One of the security guards came up and shot him in the head. And this guy is he's very, very highly placed in the Iranian government. So, Although political assassinations are shocking to us, in Iran they call that Thursday. So, yeah. So, again, uh, some really interesting articles there on allisrael.com. You can keep up to date on all of this, and we'll do our best to uh, use our various sources, let you know what's going on there. Uh, definitely, uh, this is uh, a, uh, an example of where, when you have a biblical perspective on these sort of things, you don't have to get carried away. You don't have to be depressed. When these things begin to happen, Jesus said, look up for your salvation draws near. So Amen. that's our perspective. Amen. Yeah. Amen to that. Thank you for that. Thank you for that update. Once again, send your, your questions in. If you have questions on the Bible, send them in. Whatever platform you're joining us on, send them in the chat function or our email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. And we will try and get to those questions today uh, um, on our show. Right now, uh, we had uh, a question uh, about the, just the reliability of Scripture. Obviously, we use the Bible to answer the questions because we believe it is what it says it is, which is the Word of God. Read that by Him without error, without fault. But we often get the question, how would you respond when a skeptic uh, makes the accusation that the Bible was revised or rewritten? Oh, or oh I love that question. It's a great question. Yeah. Yeah. Three words, where and when. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, when I was uh, invited uh, uh, to uh, speak on a uh, national public radio uh, program uh, a few years back uh, about the uh, just the amazingly bad movie, The Last Temptation of Christ by mm -hmm. Martin Scorsese, uh, after talking about uh, the biblical point of view as far as who Jesus is versus Nikos Kazantzakis, who wrote the book, The Last Temptation of Christ, and Martin Scorsese's view of Jesus. I just think any uh, 
uh, view of Jesus where you've got the guy who played the Green Goblin in Spider-Man playing Jesus. It's kind of non-starter to me, but, but uh, neither here nor there. Well, after talking about the faults and flaws of that particular program, well, then the obvious question is, well, you disagree with Martin Scorsese and Nikos Kazantzakis. Why should I believe your uh, view of the Bible? In fact, one of the callers said, everybody knows the Bible has been changed thousands and thousands of times that uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wouldn't even recognize what they wrote if they saw our Bibles today. Well, like Sean mentioned here, one of the first things that you need to ask a person that makes that kind of bold declaration is, okay, can you give me an example? Right. Most of the time what they're saying is something they heard uh, probably 10 years ago in some class where a guy with the, you know, the uh, jacket with the tweed elbow patches uh, you know, is uh, opining about some area outside of his expertise. But, you know, it's a very important question because if our faith is based upon the Scripture, we'd better know that the Scripture is reliable. And uh, one of the most important things that we can have in our belt is understanding the faithfulness of transmission of the Bible from the original manuscripts to the copies of manuscripts that we have today. When someone asks me what our Bible is based upon today, most of the people that I talk to, and most Christians don't understand the wealth of manuscript backing our New Testament alone, and we could talk about the Old Testament as well, but the New Testament alone uh, contains. Uh, Your New Testament is based on nearly 6,000 Greek manuscripts. That is copies of the original in the language the New Testament was written in. Oh, nearly 6,000 now. There are also over 18,000 examples of what we call versions, that is, translations of the Bible into other languages from around the time of Christ. Add to this, we have over 86,000 examples of verse quotations in the letters of early church officials to one another. Well, you take all of that data and compare and contrast, and the amount of certainty we can have about the reliability of the Bible as we have it today is off the charts. Uh, Dr. Robert L. Thomas, who was on the translation team for the New American Standard Bible, was also my New Testament introduction prof at Talbot Seminary, Mm -hmm. uh, came up uh, with this analysis. He said that uh, when we uh, combine all of the passages in the New Testament that are still held as as being questionable, uh, not ruled out, but questionable, Mm -hmm. as being true to the original, if we were to uh, print them all up, Uh, we would come up with less than one half of one page of text. And no major doctrine of Christianity is called into question in any of these disputed texts. Even individuals like Bart Ehrman will admit uh, in his appendix after he gets done with his smoke and mirrors sort of things to uh, undermine people's faith, that uh, none of the disputed texts that he even points out uh, contradict any major doctrine of Christianity. So understand the significance of this. If the purpose of the Bible is to define Christian doctrine and the supposed revisions, or if they're going to be honest, the transmission errors, the changes in language, the possibility of communication being unclear throughout the ages, with the evidence we actually have, the purpose of the Bible's in defining Christian doctrine is the one thing that has not been changed based on the information we actually have, not the speculations we assume or infer. Yeah, and uh, you know, I guess uh, kind of a, a handy illustration that I often use to drive home uh, just how reliable the Bible is. 
Uh, some people will say, and some skeptics often will assert that, uh, you know, the Bible, you know, has been changed kind of like that party game, past the secret, you know, uh, maybe you've had this done in a communications class or at a party where a person will see like a nonsense message written on a piece of paper. They'll whisper it into the ear of the person next to them who will whisper it into the ear. So on 20 uh, people down the line, the person is asked to repeat the message completely distorted. doesn't have anything to do with what the original had to say. And I say, well, you see, this is what happened with the Bible. It just got distorted over time. And like you said, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John wouldn't uh, even recognize what they wrote. Okay, let's use that analogy, but let's change the rules a bit to uh, fit the facts that we have as far as the wealth of manuscript evidence that we have on the Bible is concerned. Let's make our message, right, not one that was whispered, mouth to ear. Let's have each person who's passing our, uh, our message along take the piece of paper and write it down on another piece of paper and then pass that to another person who will write it down on another piece of paper. Would reliability of transmission go up by writing that message down? Yes, absolutely it would. Let's uh, not make it uh, just one line of people passing this along in their own language. Let's have nearly 6,000 lines of people <laughs> writing this down and then compare and contrast the slips of paper that we have at the end. Yeah. Would reliability of transmission go up? Yeah. Let's not make it a nonsense message just to amuse somebody in a parlor game or, or you know, a, uh, a classroom. Let's make the message so important that every person passing it along would literally be willing to die for the message. Would reliability of transmission yeah, go up? Absolutely. Well, you know, again, we could say, let's add another 18,000 examples uh, or lines of people translating our message into their own languages and then compare and contrast. Would reliability, you, you get the, the, the picture here. We're not talking about past the secret, we're talking about past the certainty. Yeah. You know, and so when people say, well, you know, uh, you know, the Da Vinci Code said, you know, that these corrupting clerics and mad monks came in, you know, and old Constantine always gets mentioned. He's definitely the guy that uh, rewrote the Bible according to uh, the uh, I don't know, lights of Tom Hanks and uh, Gandalf from uh, uh, Lord of the Rings. Extensive notes were made concerning not just the Council of Nicaea, but many ecumenical councils, some of which that actually had something to do with the nature of the Bible. And if you have an example in what's called the rudder, you can show us. You can provide the evidence, but saying an entertaining movie with big-name actors or a book that admits on the first page that this is a work of fiction, that uh, it's not going to hold up in court. So, you know, the, the thing that we would say to you, and this is so important for us to understand, is this. You know, when we say, well, the Bible says, or Jesus said in the Bible, uh, I think every legitimate uh, inquirer, you know, the, the validity of Christianity, should ask themselves this question. Do we have a, an idea of what the original eyewitness documents had to say about the life and teaching of Jesus? And the, the overwhelming answer is, yes, we do. Uh, you know, the saddest thing to me is uh, running into Christians who, like, see the Da Vinci Codes on Turner Network television or something like that, uh, you know, for the 800th time, and they're like, oh, I'm going to lose my faith. You know, no, it's just, it's, it's a bunch of ridiculousness. It's a bunch of poor scholarship. And when we understand what our faith is based upon and how gracious God has been to provide us this overwhelming manuscript evidence, 
Um, no uh, document of ancient times can hold a candle to the amount of validity and, and backing that we have uh, regarding the Bible itself. Yeah, it's not even close. When we're talking about the details that they get nitpicky about, there's usually three categories of textual criticism that they say, oh, well, based on this, the distance, for instance, this is the first, between the original events and the time that the authors wrote about it, how could they possibly remember in any meaningful detail the events that transpired? The possibility of it being exchanged by many hands and saying, well, because we don't actually have the originals, how could we possibly know what the originals or the copies or the copies of the copies had to say in comparison to one another? It's completely unreliable. And then the third issue that they usually go to town with is the idea that, well, given the influence of cultures and even people hostile to the Bible that would be handling this, that there's incentive for them to change, sanitize, or censor the message of the Bible, and then say, how can we possibly trust that it survived the sort of opposition that we see towards it throughout the ages? The problem is, and this is key, if they were to say because of what the Bible has to stand on as far as these three issues, that within the, I guess, if we're going substance of arguments and claims, 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 through 7 is a creed that was compiled, collected, and memorized by early Christians uh, in what's called a doxology, these records of early hymns, uh, so that Christians who weren't literate would be able to memorize and recite and repeat these short statements that would make up their major doctrine. That is a record of something we have within months of the events that they report. The months. Er months, yeah. which is the earliest that we have of anything in history ever over a thousand years. It's unheard of to have this kind of information about any cause, pagan or Christian. The second issue is, oh, well, the earliest gospel, liberals say Matthew, the actual eyewitnesses and associates of the God. Liberals tend to say Mark. Yeah. Did I say Matthew? Yeah. Matthew, according to the actual disciples, Mark, according to the liberals, the only reason they argue Mark, by the way, substantively, is the fact that it's the shortest, but that doesn't actually fly. The point being made, though, is this. Within their dating system, they would give it around 30 years for the Gospel of Mark to be penned, and if we actually go off information of people who knew the apostles, we'd say maybe 10 as far as when the gospel was actually penned. And this is using the dating events that we see recorded in the Acts of the Apostles when John Mark had associations with Peter. And that doesn't even take into consideration that the nearly unanimous verdict of early church officials was that Matthew wrote first and then Mark. Which is another point. But even if we grant everything the liberal, liberals would argue and the skeptics would use as reason to dismiss, let's go with the total culmination of the New Testament within 60 years of the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, that all these things were written down and that the New Testament, this is the collection of documents that's in question here, accurately portrays the life, resurrection, and the teachings of Jesus and his early followers. We're putting ourselves within less than a century, just over half of a century, of the events themselves in history. If we were to compare that to anything else, as far as ancient literature is concerned, uh, the Examples oftentimes given by Gary Hammerboss, who's one of the world-leading scholars on the historicity of the resurrection, saying, 
let's uh, just say, for example, the historical figure of Alexander the Great. The earliest source that we have on his life, not an inscription in a rock or, you know, uh, just a fragment or just a mention of him in passing here or there, but an actual text that gives us the biography that we're more than willing to share as honest history today. Plutarch's Life of Alexander. Take a guess. Dave, uh, I'll, I'll let you uh, take a, a, a whiff at this. You read Plutarch on a regular oh, basis, absolutely. don't you? No, no, just, just, just take a guess, because 60 years for the completion of the whole New Testament, that's too late. 30 years for the earliest gospel account, according to liberal skeptical dates too far removed from the originals to give any meaningful record of what he said and did. Take a guess as to how long before Plutarch's life of Alexander was penned and the life of Alexander actually took place in history. Take a guess. Take a guess. Because uh, remember, 30 years is too late. Yeah. I was going to say 500 years, but 10 years. <laughs> More. More than 500 years. years. 1,000 years. Well, let's note our earliest copy. It was around the 700s that the earliest wow. piece of Plutarch's life of Alexander was discovered. And then tack on to that the fact that we don't know if this got mishandled. We don't know if it got mistranslated because those awful Christians might have censored it as this filthy pagan is on. And after all, if we're going to say, well, you know, that's uh, actual history, that's not religious literature. Do you know what the opening pages of Plutarch's Life of Alexander reports about him? That he was the miraculous conception of the god Jupiter from his mother as a result of copulation with a snake. So now we're not just doing history about a figure, we're doing theology and some interesting views of bestiality. But here's the point that's being made. 700 years, yeah. give or take, within the first copy of it, 500 years when we assume that Plutarch may have written about it because of other sources that would in no way have been considered. But 30 years, that's too late. Yeah. <laughs> and and let's, let's go towards something even more ancient. Let's try Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey earliest time in writing dad do you remember when uh, those were dated in greek history maybe what 2000 bc yeah and our earliest copy is in the 1500s AD. Yeah. so let's again just ask i should say 200 200 thank you not 2000 yeah but we're, we're asking these questions why are they so inconsistent because even with religious texts or historical texts the problem with the bible isn't the fact that it doesn't put its credentials on the table, isn't because it gets any information wrong, isn't even necessarily because it fails any actual historical standards. The reason is because it calls them to accountability to a God they may not want to be real in order for them to, uh, I guess, support either their lifestyles, their social standings, or the decisions they've made in life ultimately that would make them not want there to be a God, not want Jesus to be risen from the dead, not want someone in history to have proven that God is real and what he thinks about us. So here's the point that's being made. If we're to look at their standards, and here's the key, apply them consistently. We know nothing, nothing as far as history is concerned before the invention of the printing press, and even then it's a stretch. But if we're consistent and say, well, Plutarch's Life of Alexander is obviously an interesting piece of pagan Greek literature, but it does give us an idea of who he was, who he was related to, what he did, and we can back it up with some archaeology here and there, no problem teaching that sort of stuff in school. But if, on the other hand, we're going to say, well, the New Testament, that can't be t trusted, that's religious propaganda. Good heavens, do you know, can you spell consistency without the aid of autocorrect? That's all I would say. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I like how you're using your prop there for emphasis. I got my stick. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, great. Well, thanks for that. Uh, we had a question. Well, well, interesting. The word canon, the canon of scripture, yeah. literally means a measuring stick. Oh, so, there you go. Look there you how, go. Look how it's <laughs> just relevant all yeah. over the place. Yeah, very good. So. Um, I had a question from Carson. This comes up a lot through the holidays, Christmas and Easter and stuff, but the general question, is it true that all holidays are pagan and were rewritten to get people to join Christianity? Question from Carson there today. Yeah, the claims, of course, are the same as the issues with the Bible. Show me where and when. If people are going to say, oh, well, Easter was pagan, we dealt with this recently. What reason do you have to believe that pagans started the traditions that we are, of course, celebrating in regards to Easter as far as motivation, substance, and the actual evidence to support Which that. Which came first, the chicken or the Easter egg? Yeah, or the, <laughs> the bunny in this case, or the egg. The problem is when you actually do a bit of homework, these claims end up being either vague, unsubstantiated, or just outright false. If you say, oh, well, Easter is sounds kind of like Ishtar, which is a Egyptian goddess, or uh, Estor, or whatever in this uh, Norse pagan deity. Yeah, they named the month after her, but that was because they celebrated it on Easter, which used to be called Pasher. We celebrate Easter not because pagans celebrated on that day, but Jews celebrated on that day in remembrance of Passover. We celebrate Easter Sunday because that's when Jesus rose from the dead in accordance with a Jewish festival, not a pagan festival. If you say, well, pagans used rabbits and fertility rites, I'm sure they did, but why are we referencing them? It was in reference to an old German hunting proverb that if the hare escapes, you can still go after its nest. If you miss one animal, there's other smaller animals nearby. As far as the significance of gathering eggs, it's because on Easter there were kings that gathered eggs because it was a cheap form of protein that they would collect for feasting after Lent was over in preparation for Easter. Take of that what you will. Pagans fasted. Yeah, Jews fasted as well. Why are we doing it? They say, well, why are they decorating them? Well, it was to mark them aside so that they would understand as they're fasting for Lent, when they finally could preserve these eggs, hard-boiled usually, that they would be able to enjoy them separate from all the others. And as far as the games that are associated with it, telling the kids to go and find it, I'd encourage you to look up some interesting parallels in that to the Jewish Seder celebration, which was also celebrated right. on Passover. The Jewish kids were required to go and find the, well... The apicomen. Yeah. The hidden bread. Yeah, yeah which was uh, a very not-so-subtle picture of Jesus in the Trinity, the piece of bread that was broken and the kids were supposed to find it and come back rejoicing. It has some inspiration in that, some in just some casual German folklore, but the point being made is if you're going to say pagans did this, therefore your motivation for doing them is pagan, it's ridiculous. My motivation is my own. You can't attribute motive. That's a fallacy. If you say, well, historically they were motivated by it, show me where and when. All our texts point to them either being cultural, not religious, cultural customs, or association with Jewish customs, not pagan ones. Say Christmas. Oh, Christmas, that's December 25th, the winter solstice. Pagans celebrated on that day. Yeah, because they needed an excuse to get drunk. That's true of most days of that of the year. Why do we celebrate on December 25th? Because not a religious, but a cultural assumption that the perfect life would die on the same day that it was conceived. Often assumption, not a biblical assumption, but an assumption that because of this rule, which isn't in Scripture, I'm repeating that so that you understand this, exactly. they would say because Jesus died around late 
uh, March, early April, that the nine month tacking on to that would put us in late December, early January. They remember it as Christ's Mass because of a cultural assumption of his birth which is a historical event, not a pagan one. If you say, oh, well, uh, you know, President's Day is, or July the 4th is pagan because Julius, that's the name of the calendar, and uh, July 4th is in honor of Julius Caesar. No, it's because Americans are celebrating their independence from Great Britain, no offense. And of course, that, that celebration of fireworks <laughs> is because... naturalized. <laughs> that's that's yeah. because of these ideas. And, and again, uh, the last one was meant to be facetious, but it is just that ridiculous. When people say, oh, St. Patrick's Day, that was originally a pagan holiday. A, I don't care. B, that's not true. And C, that's not, you can't provide any evidence meaningfully to communicate that. Now, note, did the Catholic Church, specifically the Jesuits, get into some compromises culturally in order to gain more followers than the Protestants were getting during the Protestant Reformation? Yeah, but that was in regards to the canonization of saints, not the celebration of holidays. They uh, made saints, for instance, of pagan goddesses and significant figures in Norse paganism in order to win over entire crowds. And that, of course, was a compromise, not a commendation on their part. But if, on the other hand, you're to say, well, Protestants did that too, great, there's two bad guys here, but the point of the matter is your question about holidays is moot. When we and why we and how we celebrate these holidays historically had nothing to do with paganism, specifically and motivationally had nothing to do with paganism, and substantively has nothing to do with paganism. Why are we celebrating Christmas? To remember Christ's birth. Why are we celebrating Easter? To remember Christ's resurrection. Why, how are we celebrating Christ's birth? Because a gift was given to us, so we give gifts to each other. Why do we celebrate Easter with usually feasting and so forth? Because we have something to celebrate in the resurrection from the dead on and on it goes. If you say, well, pagans celebrated on those days or around them too, like I said, I don't care. I'm <laughs> celebrating because of this reason. And also note, if you're going to make that claim, provide evidence. I can, you can't. Yeah, well, and uh, I think uh, this is a great illustration of a simple statement we find in Scripture. It'll keep you out of a peck of trouble, I think, when these kind of uh, uh, controversies come up. Uh, in Romans chapter 14 and verse 5, we read, One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. I think if uh, the last few minutes uh, has revealed anything, Sean, I think, is fully convinced in his own mind <laughs> that uh, these uh, charges, that these things are just pagan and that because of them they're not acceptable to God, just doesn't stand up under examination. But uh, if it's you know, sore spot for you if you came out of a tradition uh, where that was really emphasized to you, uh, well, then don't celebrate uh, Christmas. Sure. You know, don't celebrate Easter. You know, I mean, you don't have to. There's no reason uh, you have to do that. But I think you're missing out on a blessing. You know, it's not like you're going to stand before the Lord someday and he's going to say, you know, why should I let you into my heaven? And you're going to say, well, because I put my faith in Jesus. Well, what was your take on holidays? Yeah. Yeah. No. So, yeah. yeah. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Uh, question from uh, Jocelyn. Uh, is the gap theory supported by Scripture? Um, is it accurate to say that there were two separate creations? So I guess there's this theory that yeah. there were two creations, right? There was sort of the monkey men 
and then God said, "Let us make man in our image," and God created man well, like we know. I don't yeah. know. Well, well, let me let me just jump in. Probably the most succinct answer to this is yeah. even uh, kind of given to us in what's called the gap theory. Yeah. Okay. What gap are we referring to? Well, yeah. it's a gap. Where you buy your T-shirts and your jeans. No, no, no. It's the other one. Yeah, Target. The Target theory uh, emerged. (laughs) We'll go on to that one next. Yeah. But uh, the gap theorist would come to the text of Genesis chapter 1 and say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then they would put an indeterminate gap (laughs) of time between Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 and Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. Now, personally, I think any approach to Scripture that is based upon reading between two verses, not reading a verse, but trying to read something into what is going on between two verses, boy, you had better have your ducks in a row and overwhelming evidence from the rest of what the Bible has to say on this subject, mm-hmm. that this is in fact what happened yeah. before you start asserting something like this. So why has the gap theory gotten traction? Uh-huh. Well, you know, again, it, it comes down to this statement that the earth was without form and void, toho vabohu in, Greek, in uh, the, the Hebrew, literally formless and void. Mm-hmm. Uh, gap theorists will point to a passage in Isaiah where it says that the Lord did not create the world tohu, but, in, but formed it to be inhabited. Mm-hmm. And so they will say, well, see, this wasn't the way God created it. This is the way it ended up being. It started out being perfectly good, uh, but then something happened that made it, uh, you know, formless and void with darkness over the face of the deep. Darkness is a reference to evil in Scripture. Right. So they will immediately uh, launch into an idea that there was a uh, pre-Adamic race that Satan was given authority over God to oversee this part of his creation, but that as a part of his rebellion and his fall, he led this pre-Adamic race in rebellion against God. God flooded the original creation, hence uh, over the face of the deep. uh, uh, And uh, because of that, uh, the account that we see in Genesis chapter 1 and verses 3 and following is not the creation, it's the recreation of the world that was ruined by the satanic rebellion and the pre-Adamic race, and that's why you have fossils of uh, you know monkeys and, and dinosaurs and yep. things along this line. Well, here's the big problem. Nowhere in Scripture does it speak about a pre-Adamic race. Nowhere in Scripture does it speak of sin being a part of the existence of of the universe until uh, we get to Genesis chapter 3. That's where sin enters into the world. In fact, the last verse of Genesis chapter 1 is that God looked upon all that he had made and he pronounced it very good. In other words, in, in Hebrew, this is the idea of a point of emphasis that there was no fault or flaw whatsoever in all that God made, not just the heavens and the earth, but all that God made. So people say, well, when do you think Satan fell then? 
Well, evidently, not at this point. Right. Because God saw everything that he made, and it was very good. Somewhere between the last verse in Genesis chapter 1 and when Satan comes on the scene as the serpent in Genesis chapter 3, the fall of Satan took place. Mm. That's probably the best inference, although we're not told directly uh, that is the best inference based upon these parameters. So when someone, you know, gets shot down in biology class, oh, how can you possibly believe that God created the world in six days and that according to the genealogies in Genesis, it's only about 6,000 years old. What kind of a Philistine are you who let you into this institution? Uh, Well-meaning, but I think misguided Christians will say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You know, uh, now we've got Darwin and now we've got the fossil record and, and we've got these things. So, so we have to adjust our understanding of the scripture based upon the, uh, the prevalent ideas of cosmology, how the universe came to be, paleontology, how we were to interpret the fossils, uh, evolutionary biology. We're supposed to take our scriptures and reinterpret them so that they go along with conventional wisdom. Here's the big problem. Conventional wisdom is always changing. I saw an article earlier today, um, not in Answers in Genesis, but in Scientific American, where a new discovery from the James Webb telescope shows that the Big Bang is almost on its last legs. The phenomena of the universe that they are seeing does not fit with Big Bang wow. cosmology. Wow. It simply does not. And they're like, oh, we'll get back to you on that. Yeah. You know, I, I haven't seen such hand-waving uh, since they dug up that T-Rex dinosaur in the Badlands of Montana, uh, sawed one of the bones to fit it in a helicopter and found dinosaur guts in the middle of it. Yeah. Which means it was very fresh. 64 yeah. million years old, right. we are told. But we had dinosaur, we got collagen, we've got blood vessels, we've got hemoglobin. Yeah. Um, DNA is very <laughs> and it wasn't delicate. In the, in the freezer, yeah. Well, uh, DNA is a very delicate molecule. It breaks down okay, the outside maybe 10,000 years yeah. under pristine conditions. So what are we, you know, there's a, well, no, 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 no. And, 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 you know, people are like, whoa, what are we going to do with that? Yeah. You know, and, and so this is what they did with it. You, you know how they, they dealt with this, Dave? They said, clearly there is an undiscovered uh, process by which DNA can be preserved for 64 million years. Of course. <laughs> that because. Has to, that has to be. Because all our grant money is going to go away if we, we have to. So, yeah. you know, I, I, the, the reason I bring this up is when I see well-meaning Christians saying, oh, if we would just adjust the message of the Bible to suit the taste and the sensibilities of the latest discoveries of secularism, uh, naturalistic philosophy that says that all things can be explained without an appeal to a creator. If we can just fold, spindle, and mutilate our Bibles a little bit to fit into this, then the world's gonna listen to us. To which I say, no, it really doesn't work that way. I say that speaking as a former atheist, when I would see a Christian try to say, oh, you can believe in the Bible and evolution. I just, come on, get serious. Uh, you know, a friend of mine who's a retired attorney, uh, convinced skeptic, um, uh, came up to me. I was working out at uh, the athletic club, and we'd have all these debates about creation and evolution. And he'd say, okay, oh, yeah, they discovered this thing, you know, that's 20 million years old, but you think it was formed 20 minutes ago. Ha, 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 ha. 
Well, a guy comes up to me, I'm running on the treadmill, and he's just looking as happy as the cat that ate the canary. And he looks at me, he goes, guess what? And I'm, you know, kind of in oxygen anyway. What? And he says, I just got out of the sauna. And I sat down with this guy who said he was a pastor. And he told me that you can believe the Genesis account and uh, macroevolution at the same time. And I thought, oh, you know, so I kind of hit the pause button. I go, here we go. And what he said next just blew me away. He said, that made me sick. And I went, what? And he said, well, anybody who's read Genesis knows you can't shoehorn evolution and billions of years into it. He goes, I totally disagree with your point of view, but at least you're consistent. <laughs> and he walked away. And I never <laughs> forgot that message. It's a great lesson, yeah. You know, so, you know, when, when people say, uh, okay, could there have been a pre-Adamic race? Well, the onus is on you to show me somewhere else in Scripture where there was a pre-Adamic race. Yeah. Uh, it, was there a pre-creation uh, flood? Well, the onus is on you to show me somewhere else in Scripture that corroborates your particular theory. You're, you're trying to cram an awful lot of, dare I say, fan fiction Whoa. between two verses. Yeah, and, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I think that's really what it comes down to. Which were ultimately formed from a worldview that assumes the inexistence of God and that everything forms through natural processes, that the universe, that creation is an authority over a creator. And there was another aspect of the question that's unquestionably blasphemous. I'll just mention it briefly, that apes reflected the image of God before us. Once again, the concept of the image of God, the doctrine called Imago Dei, isn't reflecting physical characteristics, it's reflecting the attributes and character of God. Now there's examples that we can give, but noting in Genesis 3 that the uniqueness of man that would set them apart from all of creation wasn't in their reproductive capacities, every animal had that wasn't in their capacity to be material or appearances because the God of Israel, the God, the true and living God, the Trinity, is an invisible God. He doesn't have physical attributes. The second member of the Trinity took on human nature in history, but not before. We're not based on like a model of the son, God the Son. God the Son took those things on in a unique time in history. And if we're going to say, well, apes had it too, that's inferring the idea that we're transitional well, sapiens. Yeah, and, and let's shoot that down right away, just scripturally. Yeah. You know, if you look at the scripture as your orientation, Genesis chapter 1 and uh, verse uh, 28 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air over the cattle over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth do you see something very important there there is a distinction between man made in the image and likeness of god and any other living creature god has made and if you're going to argue that apes once had dominion over the earth like some bizarre Planet of the Apes prequel, then you have to prove that not just from Scripture, but anything historical. It's not the case. Yeah. Before yeah. we sign off, I want to get to Nat's question on our website. She wanted to know, or he, I don't know, maybe Nathan, um, but wants to know, was Jesus in the grave for only three days or seven days? Why is the Passover a week long if Jesus was only in the grave for three days? That's important because we don't note Jesus 
Jesus's resurrection on the basis of the Passover. The Passover was a week in order to do what? To inspect the holiness, the perfection of the lamb as the sacrifice, what's called the holy week, if you will. Right. So noting that week long leading up to his execution and then the resurrection that followed, Jesus explains why it was three days. And it wasn't because of the Passover, it was because of Jonah as Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of the fish, so the Son of Man would be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's the timeline being given. The Passover was to prove that Jesus was perfect. The sign of Jonah was to set the, what I oftentimes like to say on the internet, him calling out his respawn time. Yep. Very good. We had, uh, if I can just super quickly, because I think it fed into what you were saying, Scott. Taylor asked, should we worry about prophecy being fulfilled as a result? as a result of the backlash, misinterpretation, and misapplications of our love, or should we just keep trucking on? It's why I don't vote, he says. And it kind of fed into what you said, I think, about being consistent. It seems like if I'm interpreting this question right, Taylor's saying he worries about basically being a Christian because he might provoke prophecy coming true. I mean, should we, should we kind of wishy-washy ourselves down just well, to avoid, and we only have a few seconds left. But. <laughs> well, you know, the, the scripture tells us uh, that the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the people of no effect. Yeah. But the counsel of the Lord endures forever. Yeah. And the plans of his heart are to all generations. Um, you know, we can try to fight against God, but uh, our feet's too short to run from God. That's right. And our arms are too short to box with him. So, you know, again, just be faithful. God tells us to be good citizens, to uh, stand for righteousness in the culture. Just do that. You'll be fine. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Taylor, for that. Thank you for your questions today. Sorry we didn't get to more of them. We'll be back again uh, same time, same place tomorrow for more of your questions. Uh, and hopefully uh, maybe an update on what hit the news today right before the show, as you yeah, said. So we'll, we'll be watching that for you. Yeah, and give a little update. So we'll see you tomorrow, same time, same place. God bless you guys. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.